You're listening to Southside Baptist Church Podcast with our pastor, Dr. Jeff Parker. For more audio content, please refer to our website at ssbaptistchurch.com. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we just thank you, dear Lord, and Lord, we love you so much. We thank you that, dear Lord, you are strong in us when we are weak. Lord, at times when our bodies feel like they just can't go anymore, when we're just struggling and hurting, dear Lord, we feel the power of your Holy Spirit giving us something that we don't have. We can't explain it. We don't even understand it fully, but we know you're there. You're not only there around us, you're there in us. That deposit that Paul talked about in Ephesians, that earnest that you've earnest money, that down payment that you've laid and said, this is mine. This is my possession. I own this. And I'm going to come one day and take it home to be with me forever. Lord, we may be weak. We may struggle, but you're strong in us. And so, Lord, may we feel that strength. May we rest on that strength. May we realize that, dear Lord, even in the difficult valleys of life when things don't make sense, that you're strong in us and we can trust you. Even, dear Lord, when we can't see your hand, we can trust your heart. And we can know that, dear Lord, that all things work together, all things, everything, good things, bad things, bad news, worse news, broken marriages, dear Lord, struggles in relationships, battles with our children, battles with our health, battles with our finances, when all the world seems to be pressing in and everything is going wrong, all things work together. That means everything. All things work together for good to those that love you and are called according to your purpose. And you whisper us, you whisper to us in the deepest, darkest moments of our life, trust me. Trust me. I'm here. I haven't left you. I'm walking you through this. We'll get through this. And you'll see in the end what I'm doing. So, Lord, we trust you, and we pray everything in the name, sweet, precious name of Jesus, a name that is above every name, a name that if one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Remain standing, and I want you to take your Bibles and turn to the book of Exodus. Genesis, Exodus. This is the Mother's Day sermon that we did not have last week. And um, there are some that are not here, and I deeply regret that they are not, because there were some people last week that definitely this could have spoken to their heart. But I'm glad that you're here. And we're going to pick up at Exodus chapter 1, beginning at verse 8, and read for a few minutes. So kind of stay with me here. In Exodus chapter 1, beginning at verse 8, Then a new king who did not know about Joseph, he came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to, the, to his people, the Israelites have become much too numerous to, for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them or they will come, become even more numerous and will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, will join our enemies and fight against us and leave our country. Exodus chapter 1 verse 11. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor and they built Python and Ramesses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they oppressed... 
The more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. That's a picture of the church. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and work them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with hard labor and brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields and all the hard labor. The Egyptians used them ruthlessly. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Shiprah and Pua, When you help the Hebrew women in childbirth and observe them on the delivery stool, if it is a boy, kill him. But if it is a girl, let her live. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. Then the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, Why have you done this? Why have you let these boys live, these Hebrew boys? The midwives answered, Pharaoh, Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They're vigorous. They give birth before the midwives can arrive. So God was kind to the midwives, and the people increased and became even more numerous. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people. Every boy that is born you must throw into the Nile, but every girl will live. Now a man of the house of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her slave girl to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, shall, shall I go and get the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. And the girl went and got the baby's mother, Pharaoh's daughter, said to her, take this baby and nurse him for me and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. And when the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter. He became her son. She named him, can we say it together? Moses. Saying, I drew him out of the water. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, again, we come to you and we pray, dear Lord, that you will open up our hearts. May, dear Lord, we receive your word today. Cleanse me if there's any thought, deed, idle word, anything that in any way would hinder your Holy Spirit. May this congregation know that before I came to this pulpit, I laid on my face in an office making sure that my heart was right with you. I pray they did the same. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. I was telling Sheila, there was this little cartoon in Saturday Evening Post and it showed a little boy about five or six years old and he was talking on the telephone and he was saying, Mom is in the hospital. The twins, Roxy, Billy, Sally, the dog, and me and Dad, we're all here alone. You know, 
the truth is, when mom's not there, when mom's out of the picture, you feel alone, don't you? You know, last week we had Mother's Day, and to be honest with you, it was my first Mother's Day without my mom. And, you know, there were a few tears shed, because when you don't have your mom anymore, there's just something missing in your life. You do feel lonely. And to this little boy that he, he did. Today I want to look at a mom. And it's not that we haven't looked at her before, but this mom had a tough assignment. Her name is Jochebed, and she's married to a Hebrew man, a Levite. They're both Levites. She's married to a man by the name of Amram. And uh, Jochebed had a tough assignment. She had a tough assignment. I want every mom to look this way. Mom, understand this. You have a tough assignment too. Isn't that right? These are, these are tough times. In, in, in raising children. These are difficult days, and without a consistent walk with Christ in His Word, in prayer, in Scripture, in the church, fellowshipping with the body of believers, it's going to be very difficult. Napoleon said this. He said, the hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. And boy, that is true. Moms, you're going to make this nation a better nation, or you're going to make it a worse. It's how you approach this thing of being a mom. Now, I want to say this, a lot of times what happens when you're preaching a message like this, people feel guilty. You know, a mom may be here and she's going through a hard time right now and she says, you know, I just, I just feel like a failure. I, I just feel like I haven't done a very good job or something's wrong. Now let me say this, from the very beginning all the way back to the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, I'm going to tell you something. Adam and Eve had a problem, didn't they? I don't know about you. Have any of your kids killed each other? Some of them may have sounded like they were about to kill each other, but they didn't. Well, you remember Cain killed Abel. And I'm sure that Adam and Eve thought, you know, what have we done wrong? And, and if you start looking at the Scripture, you look at, you look at Abraham, you look at Isaac. Man, did Isaac have some problems. Man, Esau and Jacob, they were at each other's throats. I mean, they had a mess. Uh, conspiracy within the family. Rebecca conspired against Isaac. I mean, it was just an ugly, ugly mess. And then you get to Jacob, and Jacob had 12 sons. And hey, listen, the, the, 10 of those sons took one boy, threw him in a, threw him in a well took some blood out of a lamb they killed, put it on a coat of many colors, took it back and said, Dad, I hate to tell you this, but it looks like your son's dead. I want you to know something. This book is filled with families, men and women, who have struggled to raise their kids. So if you're here today and you feel like, you know, I'm such a failure, well, let me tell you this. Just join the ranks of some of the greatest men and women in all the Bible. And all God's people said, Amen. So it's not easy. Now, First of all, I want us to look at the setting here because, in fact, let me stop and ask you a question. Mom, have you ever questioned, Dad, have you ever questioned bringing children into the world? You ever questioned that? You ever thought, man, I, I tell you, these, these times are so difficult and things are so bad, you know, I, I, I just wonder whether we ought to even be bringing children into the world. Well, you know, when you look at Amram and Jochebed, they were in the midst of slavery, they were in the midst of abuse, physical abuse, financial crisis. Man, listen, you're talking about a bleak, ugly future. There was no reason. I'm sure that when Jochebed looked at Amram and told him, I'm pregnant, he wanted to go, you've got to be kidding. I'm sure Jochebed didn't know whether to shout or to apologize. Now, I want to give you a principle here, moms, and I want you to listen closely, Dad. The state of the world can never be the deciding factor to having children. Did you hear that? 
The state of the world can never be the deciding factor as to whether you're going to have children or not. My friend, let me tell you this much. You, be, you obey the first command of God, which is be fruitful and multiply. Now, that's within the confines of marriage. You're not married, don't do anything. Get, get married, get it right, then you can have all the babies you want. Now, Amram and Jochebed had a difficult assignment. They were in the midst of stormy times in the nation of, of Israel. And, and, and yet, when you look at Jochebed, she probably did everything she could to make that home as congenial and as calm let me, let me say this, Mom. You know what your task and role is? Is to make that home a harbor. Did you hear that? When I was living in England, I would, at St. Austell, it was a port town along the English Channel. And the English Channel could get really stormy. A lot of times I would go to this place and I just, sometimes I'd just kind of be heavy-hearted and I'd, I'd just go by myself and there was this harbor and the storm, I mean, you could look, English channels sometimes could be so rough and violent. And then I would, I would go into this little, this little bed and breakfast. They had this little tea place where you get a hot tea and scones. And I'd go in there and sit down and drink me a cup of hot tea, eat a scone. And I would look at these massive ships, these big clipper ships in this harbor. And that harbor was just like glass. And, I, and it would calm me. Mom, let me tell you something. The world that, the, that you're trying to raise children is a very, very stormy, violent world. And your responsibility in some ways is to make that home a harbor. Now listen, if, it's not, if that home, if that harbor gets too stormy, if it gets more stormy than the sea, what's going to happen? Kids are going to leave real quickly. So you want to do everything you can, Mom. And, and, and I wrote this down. Let me give you some practical advice, and we're going to have some practical along with Meals are an incentive to a calm harbor. You want to listen. The way to a man's heart is, to his, is through his what? It's through his stomach. But I want you to know something. It's the key to a family. Now, here you have Amram and Jochebed. They're in a very difficult situation, very stormy time in the nation of Israel. And then the edict, or the edict of, of Pharaoh... Pharaoh says, listen, he says to all Hebrew people, he says, listen, I want you to, if you have a little girl, that's fine, you can keep the little girl. If you have a boy, you're to kill the little boy. And eventually what he says is, you are to take those little boys and throw them out into the Nile River. Now, Mom, I want you to note some things about Jochebed because these are some lessons. I want you to write this down. First of all, Jochebed, though she was in a worst case scenario, and everything possible was against her. First of all, Jochebed had a plan. She had a plan. She had a narrow window. In fact, for a while there, she only had three months. And I'm sure during those three months, she was hiding that baby, nursing that baby, caring for that baby, trying to keep that baby quiet. She was doing everything. The Bible says, the writer of Exodus here, Moses himself says that she was hiding that baby, trying to do everything she could to protect him. She felt, maybe she felt helpless, Maybe she felt hopeless, but listen to this. Jochebed, number one, she had a plan. Mom, do you have a plan? She, you see, Jochebed said, I've got, to, I've got to take this baby and I've got to put this baby in the Nile River. 
So she began to prepare a vessel. She began to get that little vessel of papyrus reeds together because she understood this. I've got to put this baby out there in the Nile River. Now, Mom, listen to me very closely. You need to have a plan because you need to understand, I need to understand, we all need to understand as parents that like the Nile River, sooner or later, we've got to take our children and listen to this, we've got to put them out in the world. And I want you to know something, that's not easy. Mostly when the world looks like it looks today. But our world today looks no worse than what Jochebed faced, amen? She wove a vessel. She, made, she took that papyrus reed that lined the Nile River and she made that into a vessel, into, a, into an ark of sort, into a basket, and you can just imagine those skillful hands of this little Hebrew woman as she was twisting and turning and plaiting and weaving and bathing it into prayer. She would take that bitumen. The Bible says that she took pitch and tar. It was, it was bitumen. It was, listen to this, it was the same material that Moses used on the ark. And bitumen is still used today by people that live along the Nile River. Because bitumen, that tar and pitch that's called bitumen, she, when she wove that basket together, she took that bitumen, that tar and pitch, and she filled in every crack and crevice, much like, much like Moses did the ark. She was preparing that vessel to put her baby in and to put out into the Nile River. Bitumen, when it, is, when it comes in contact with water... It releases a chemical, listen to this, that repels crocodiles. In other words, crocodiles tend to be repelled by the stench and the odor of this bitumen. You see, the world, the water represents the world. And in some ways, as a parent, you and I, and mom, you especially, you are, you are making that vessel. You're, 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 you're working incorporating into that child's life everything that they need in order to survive. Let me ask you something, moms and grandmothers and those that have children. Do you think that as Jochebed was making that vessel, do you think she ever went down to the Nile and tested it? You know, I kind of believe she did. I believe that what happened was as Jochebed got her plan ready, she, she put it together. She thought, well, you know, I've got to put him into the river. I've got to obey. And, and, and her, remember this, she has two other children, Aaron and Miriam. So her whole family, listen, if she disobeys the edict of the king, of Pharaoh, it's not just a matter of losing Moses, this newborn baby. She had the potential of losing her whole family. I mean, the hitchmen... The swordsman of Pharaoh could have come and just wiped out her whole family. Came in there and said, this is revolt, this is, revolt, this is rebellion. Killed Amram, killed Jochebed, killed Miriam, killed Aaron. And said, it's done, it's over. Then took Moses and threw him out into the Nile River. As an example to the rest of the Israelite nation. So Jochebed had a plan. But I got a feeling that she went down there. When she slipped down, it may have been at night. She slipped down next to that Nile River and she'd lay that basket there. She would study that basket. She would even try to push down on it a little bit, putting pressure to make sure and to see, listen, Mom, if there was a leak. Let me ask you something. Do you ever think, Mom, sometimes that you need to check for leaks? 
You see, she not only had a plan, and what I mean by that is, is that you see the world, the flesh and the devil, unspiritual, immoral, unethical, worldly behaviors, worldly words and attitudes and things that come out of your children. Do you ever see something in your child and you go, where did, where did you hear that? Well, I can remember times my parents would look at me. I remember one time I used a horrible four-letter word at the table. And when I let that word out, my whole family looked. It was like ice-cold water had hit the supper table and everybody was in a state of shock. My dad said, where did you hear that? Where did you hear that word from? Now let me say this. He knew that I hadn't heard it from our home. He knew it had come from somewhere else. There was a leak. And so what my dad did, my dad warned me. He said, son, you don't, that's a bad word. Don't you ever say that word again. I was a little second grader. A few minutes later, my sister did something to me at the table. You want to guess what I did? I used that four-letter word again. This time, dad stood up and he said, come on, let's go. Carried me back to the bedroom. He said, son, I told you not to say that word again. And he wore my butt out. And I don't think that word's ever come out of my... I don't know. I hope not. But I want you to know something. Mom, do you check for leaks? You see, Jochebed was... She had a plan, but secondly, Jochebed was protected. Do you look and see if there's any leaks in your home and in your family that's affecting the lives of your children? And I mean by that, maybe it's TV. Maybe it's a program that they're watching. You ought to know every program your child watches. I tell you, one of the dangers in America is TVs in every bedroom where you can't monitor what children are watching today, let alone the computer. So you've got TV, you've got music today with all kinds of immoral and unethical behaviors being pumped in to your child. And nowadays they're walking around with it in their ears. So you can't even hear it. So do you check for leaks? Do you look at what they're watching on TV? What they're listening to in their music? Do you check their peers and their friendships? Do you check relatives? Let me ask you this, do you check yourself? What's bad is when you say, where'd you hear that? And they smile and say, I heard it from you. Do you babysit the TV or does the TV babysit your kids? In Hebrews chapter 11, 23 through 30, the writer of Hebrews says, he said that Jochebed and Amram hid Moses for three months. They hid him because he was under a death sentence. And that was coming from Pharaoh. Let me say this today. As of now, we've murdered about 60 million unborn children. So before you get all huffy and puffy and so self-righteous that you're sitting here wondering how cruel that a government and a pharaoh would be so cruel as to throw babies out into the, into the Nile River, let me remind you, this nation today, under the auspices and the authority of our government, has thrown 60 million unborn children, and many of them are in dumpsters behind clinics. And I can tell you the problem is in this room is some of us, in all honesty, approve of it. Jochebed was in a difficult situation. The writer Hebrews said that when Amram and Jochebed saw Moses, they saw that he was no ordinary child. They could see the bent, the way. They could see the hand of God on the child, even though he was a newborn. He was young. 
They were not afraid of any government, any authority, any ruler. They were not willing to bow to the ungodly or the immoral. They were willing to stand and to fight for the life of their child. They would do whatever they had to do to save Moses. And aren't we glad they did? There's a danger sometimes in, 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 in Hebrews 11, 24 and 25, and we don't have time to go there, but it said that at a certain point that Moses stepped away from the glamour and the popularity of the Egyptian lifestyle and identified with the Hebrew people. He walked away from Egypt and Pharaoh's, Pharaoh's household, and all of the riches of that Egyptian lifestyle to become something else, to become a tool in the hand of God. Is a danger. Sometimes moms and dads push their children toward popularity because they want their child to be what they were not. Moses, listen to this, Moses chose something of greater value. I wrote this down, if you live your life to accumulate the world's goods, the world's stuff at all costs, if you compromise your marriage, your family, your ethics, your spiritual principles, then don't be surprised if your children do the same thing. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 27, it said he was taught, Moses was taught to obey the higher authority. In verse 28, he was taught to obey God no matter, even when it did not make any sense at all. You see what happened in those formative, in that little bit of time, that little bit of window that Jochebed had with Moses. She was pouring into this covenant child, this part of the lineage and the covenant of Israel. She was pouring into him principles that couldn't be taken away. There were a lot of things that he would be called upon to do. James Dobson said this. Listen to this, Mom. He said that a child's personality is developed by the age of two, maybe three. Wow. But I want to ask you something, Mom. Are you sealing out the influences, that stuff that doesn't belong in the vessel? In other words, listen, Mom, it takes a strong mom today to kind of toe the line and keep them in line and, and to say, no, you're not going to watch that or no, you're not going to listen to that or no, you're not going to hang around with that individual and, and we're not going to have that. We're not going to have that in our house. I'm not going to have that in my home. You see, sometimes that world is a symbol of the world and Jochebed was preparing that vessel, doing everything she could because she knew that if, she, if enough water seeped into that vessel, it would sink that vessel and the child would die in the process. I wrote a principle down here, let enough of the world in your home, especially in those formative years, and you will sink the vessels that you're trying to raise. Second principle, guard that home. You're in a spiritual war today. Put on the whole armor of God. Guard that home. Listen to this. Look this way. What's the Bible say when you and I come into contact with the devil? What are we to do? We're to resist him. Mom, listen to me. You've, you've got a war today. You're in a spiritual battle to raise your children today. Everything. Man, the world today, uh, this nation, America today, is so immoral, so unethical. Things are so available. Things are so easy to get. Children today literally are falling everywhere. Even the church today is affected. Mom, you've got to listen to this. You've got to toughen up and resist the devil. And a lot of times that's not easy. Jochebed not only had a plan, she was protected. You know, some people have a Kool-Aid house. You know what I mean by Kool-Aid house? Kool-Aid house was where all the other kids came to the house, right? 
Now, I, I wrote this statement down. I want you to listen to this because I, I've talked to parents about this. Sometimes parents will make this statement. As long as I know where my kids are, as long as they're home, their friends can come here, but at least I know where they are. Now, I wrote this down. Let me, let, me, let me share this with you. God has not called you to sacrifice your home and your children. Sometimes we like the fact that their friends want to come and hang out to get what they're not getting at home. But there can be a cost during those formative years. God has not called you to be all things to everyone else's kids. Young parents, are you listening? There can be dangerous stuff coming into your home by way of their friendships and their peers. Your home is never to be a hangout. Because I can tell you this much. The problem will come is their peers, their friends, enough of them start hanging out. Before long, listen, there is leaks. There are things coming into your home. And if you think they're not, my friend, you are confused and dazed. Now, the other side of that is being overprotective, right? Uh, you know, Jochebed had to prepare that vessel. She had to make that vessel ready. But then she had to place Eventually, she had to place it in an alien environment. Mom, listen to me. You do all you can do, and then you've got to watch this. You've got to let go. You know, a lot of times we're tempted to parent to be overprotective, to see sin in everything and to become overprotective. But the problem with that is it will always backfire. Kids will resent it. I tell parents this is a bad way to put it, but it's really the truth. You let a dog run free in a neighborhood and he'll be a menace to everybody. He's pooping in everybody's yard. Right? That's the problem today in America. We've got too many kids that are running free. I tell you, I'm sick and tired of watching the news and seeing some 16, 17-year-old kid get killed and mom sitting there with not a tear in her eye. She ought to be arrested and put in jail. You can thank me at the door. We, we are living in a society. We are living in an environment today. That mom, you're, you're, you're having to walk... A, a, a fine line here, and it's not easy. You're, you're protective, but then you want, don't want to be overprotective. You don't want them to rebel. And the reality is, as I was going to say a moment ago, you, you, let, a, you let a dog, you, you know, you let a dog run free. It's a, it's a nuisance to everybody. You put a dog on a chain, what will happen to that dog? That dog will be snapping and biting everything around it. What do you do? Listen to this. When you have an animal, when you have a dog, you know what you do? You put that dog in a fenced-in backyard. You know what that means? That means you've got perimeters. You've got boundaries. That dog knows where those boundaries, where those perimeters are. There's some sense of guidelines. They're not on a chain. You're not overprotective, and they're not running loose where you don't care. She had a, she had a plan. She was protective. And, and thirdly, and finally, she was, a, she was a parent in pain. Jochebed was a parent in pain. She not only had a plan, she was not only protective, but this, listen, this was a hurting mom. She had been wounded. She eventually would lose Moses. But I want you to listen, she still had Miriam and Aaron. Right? I wrote this down, a parent's loss, and it's sad because there are people that are not here that needed to be here. They were here last week, they're not here this week. A parent's loss can so devastate them, they forget what they have in their marriage and they forget what they have in their other children. 
They're so devastated by one child they can't seem to pick up and be able to move on. Now listen to this. Jochebed could not be defined by her loss. Many families lose, and many families even last week and this week have lost children. Sometimes through death, sometimes through rebellion. But the danger is when parent or parents become so devastated by the loss that the innocent are caught in the pain and the suffering of the parent. And the parent forgets there's still a job to do. Does that make sense? Some people may listen to this online and say, well, what do I do with the pain? Let me tell you what Jochebed did. She still had Aaron and Miriam. She was still dealing with a lot. Moses, listen, number one, Moses was in God's hands. Imagine that father in Luke 15 when his prodigal, he couldn't control that prodigal anymore and that prodigal finally left and the Bible said the prodigal went off into a far country. My friend, let me tell you what that father did. You know what that father did? He just lifted his hands up toward the heavens like we were doing a moment ago in worship and he said, God, he's not in my hands anymore. He's in yours. Sometimes you and I have to understand Moses was in the hand of God. Some, of, some people say, but I've lost a child. My child's dead. They're no longer here. My friend, then you have to know and understand that if you've raised them and they knew the Lord, they are in heaven. If they're not in heaven, I'm a fool. I have wasted many, many years of education in my life and mission field, my health and everything else. If your child is not in heaven, if there's, no, if there's nothing beyond this life, then as Paul said, preach, if preaching, the, preaching of the cross is foolishness to them that perish, and Paul often would refer to himself as a fool. Paul would say, listen, if this, if this is not true, if this is not reliable, then I'm the biggest fool in this room. You have to understand that if you've given up a child, if that child is dead and gone, you have to believe with all your heart they're in heaven and one day I'll see them again. If you're raising a prodigal, you just finally have to say, God, they're in your hands. There's nothing that I can do. You see, Moses, number two, Moses was a prodigal of sort. You know that? Moses got caught up in the Egyptian world. Moses was running with the enemy. You may say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, Moses, he began to understand God's will, but he was doing it all wrong. You remember? You know what Jochebed had on her hands? She not only had a prodigal, she had a murderer on the run. All she could do was just simply hand him over into the hands of God. God, Jochebed just probably looked up and said, God, he's in your hands. And, and, and she just had to let go of that prodigal, put him in the hands of God, and watch God begin to work with him. God's a lot better than you are. Number three, this is a sad one, and this may depress you a little bit. Jochebed may have went to her grave never seeing her prayers answered. Look this way. But they were. That's faith. That's trusting God. Rebecca, when she hatched the plan against Isaac and sent Jacob her favorite, sent him to stay with her brother, Laban. Listen, as far her heart was broken, and as far as I, don't, I believe, I don't, know that she, I don't know that she ever saw Jacob again. Jochebed may have went to her grave never knowing that God had answered her prayer. Boy, did he answer it. 
He led the nation of Israel out of, the, out of Egypt, out of the Exodus with a runaway murdering prodigal. He gave the Ten Commandments and spoke face to face with Moses. Moses was the most humble man in all the Bible. Moses wrote Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. When Jesus is battling the devil, he's quoting the book that Moses filled with the Holy Spirit wrote. Her prodigal turned out pretty good, didn't he? So number four, she let go and she trusted God. And that's, Mom, listen, that's something that's always going to be difficult. I can remember we'd carry him to school. She would be crying. Before long, I'd be crying, you know, and... Every little step, they went to kindergarten, boo-hoo and crying, and left them at first grade. We thought our hearts were ripping out. and Then they get to junior high, and you're on your knees praying and pleading. And then they get their driver's license, and you're, you're welling, you know. And, 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 and then they go to high school, and you're, you're laying, prost, you know, just completely prostrate on the, on the floor, you know, welling. And, then the, and, and I can remember when I carried Amy, when we carried her to Delta State, and and I remember we left her there. I came home. I was coming down Highway 61, and I hyperventilated, had to pull over because I was getting sick. So here's your pastor breathing in a bag trying to get, his, trying to get stabilized enough to drive home. It's tough. And every mom in this room that's had to go through that understands that. And a lot of times when you... I can remember... Listen, when we were in Zimbabwe, we left Amy at Eaglesville. It was an Afrikaner school. It was her first day. She was the first kid to break the ice, go into a, a different culture and a different... Sheila, I didn't go. Sheila went. I said, look, you just do it today. I can't, I can't deal with it. She came in when I finally saw her, bawling and crying, I'll never do that again. You're going to take her tomorrow. I said, well, what happened? She said, I drove off and she was chasing the car crying. You may say, well, that is horrible. But we were two parents in Zimbabwe, Africa, obeying the will of God. And we knew even though that child's heart was ripping out and she was crying and chasing Listen to that mom. There, I don't think there's too many moms that could have done what this woman did. Left her child crying, chasing the car. And the, and the school teachers chasing her to get hold of her. Today she's a dentist. She has five children. Her husband's a pastor. And she's probably as fine a pastor's wife outside of the one sitting here. And one of the finest dentists filled with all kinds of integrity. You see, sometimes, Mom, you have to understand this. You have to, you have to let go and let God. Right? Let me give you some practical, practical points and then we'll close. Here's some practical things so you just say. Uh, now, this is raising four kids and, and uh, nine grandkids and more on the way. You'll get that in a minute. I've watched a lot of homes, studied a lot of marriages, done a lot of counseling. Number, mom, let me give you some things to think about. Number one, Mom, respect, love, encourage, and support and follow the leadership of your husband. Now, first of all, follow and respect the leadership of the Lord. You may be a single mom here, and you're saying, well, I don't have a husband. Let me tell you something. Yes, you do. You're the bride of Christ. You've got a great husband. But you love him, respect him, and follow him. Encourage him. If you're married, you encourage that husband. Number two, 
organize and keep your home. Uh Uh-oh, you ready to go? Now that doesn't mean spotless, but that means there needs to be a sense of order. So organize and keep your home. I tell you why, we are seldom ever invited to nobody's home. We are never invited to none of your homes. You don't invite us for a cup of tea, cup of coffee. You don't want us in your home. And you know why? Because you're ashamed and embarrassed of your home. Isn't that sad? Christian people can't entertain in their own homes. Their pastor, used to, pastors were invited out to eat all the time. Now they're never invited out to eat. Now there may be a few exceptions. I'm looking here, catching a glimpse of the gosses. And going to the gosses is like going to Little House on the Prairie. If you haven't eaten ribs at the gosses, you need to invite yourself and go. I love the gosses. There are a few families in this, home, in this church that have invited, but not very often. Number three, plan a menu. Mom, cook meals. Sit around the table and not around the TV. She looked fried chicken every Monday night. Fried chicken, mashed potatoes, peas, cornbread, and a dessert. And buddy, we didn't have no problem making sure that all them high school kids were back home on Monday nights because mom was frying chicken. They were so lazy she had to use fillets, uh, chicken strips and not... uh... Number four, be deeply committed to church attendance. That should be a non-negotiable. It shouldn't be chaos on Sunday morning. Let me tell you, Mom, when get the kids' clothes ready, get your clothes ready, get everybody's clothes ready on Saturday night and make Sunday mornings just as easy as you can make it to get to church. Because I watch some of you. See, i got a window in my office. I watch some of you. I, every once in a time, I've watched you getting out of the car. Whew, whew, it gives me chills. Number, num, number, um, number five, let them see you praying and reading your Bible. Let them see you praying and reading your Bible. Leave a Bible and your cup of coffee. If you're reading that Bible in the morning, leave that cup of coffee, leave that Bible there. Leave that always on that dining room table. Let them see and know that you've been in the Word of God. Let them know and see that you're in prayer. Family, Hey, listen, young parents, forget family devotions. It don't work. Man. Your worship leader and the guy that just did that baptism a moment ago? Good gracious. I, 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 this, is, this is the way we start off. So, okay, you kids, come on in here. We're going we're gonna to have a devotion before y'all go to bed. Come, come on in here. Y'all hurry up and get on in here. They're supposedly bathed and ready. And Sheila and I are sitting. Where are the kids? They're, they're going to they're get here in a minute. Kids, get in here. We're getting ready to have our devotion. Y'all hurry up and come on now. Come on. Now, let's y'all get on in here. I said get in here. Get in here. We're ready to have our devotion. Y'all come on in here. Now, my blood pressure's going up. Boy, I look like Jesus, don't I? I'm your pastor. Ledge, you leave Emily alone. Stop that. Jeffrey, come here. Get, get out. Get, Jeffrey, get out off the back of the chair and come back around here. Come around here. Amy, sit up. We're going to talk about Jesus. Before long, Sheila and I would be so exasperated and try. Listen, Mom, listen to me. Dad, listen to me. You want to have a family devotion? Now, you may be able to do it. But the Bible in Deuteronomy, you know what, you know what Moses said? Talk about it as you, walk, as you go along the way. 
Talk about it when you sit down at the gate. Talk about it here. Talk about it there. You know what Moses was saying? Let it spiritual principle so naturally be a part of your life that as you're going day to day through life, all day long is just a devotion. You're, just, you're not setting aside a time where you're sitting the kids down. You're always talking. You know, it just comes natural. You're in there cooking, Mom, and, you're, and you talk about the Lord. You just talk about spiritual things. Dad's out there working in the yard. He pulls up a weed and says, you know, the Bible talks about weeds. Number six, be fair, firm, and fun. You hear that? Be fair, be firm, be fun. Sports are a good thing. Man, I, that's, there again, boy, you go to the golfers, you better get ready. You better take your glove. You're going to throw a ball of some kind. You're going to shoot basketball. You're going to throw a baseball. You're going you're gonna to throw a softball. You're, you're going you're gonna to get out there. But let me tell you, what, let me tell you what, what's going on. And, and, and this is a great thing. That, there's a lot of power in doing this with a boy out in the yard. I don't care how old he is. Because, man, it'll be therapeutic to you and it'll help you. Hey, hey girls. Hey, Dad. You don't have to lose them, girls. Let me tell you. This, this is what you do with those girls. You ever see, uh, what is it, Father of the Bride? A tearjerker. Steve Martin and his beautiful daughter playing basketball. Got to move, we got to close. Number seven, be mindful of time on the phone and on Facebook. Be mindful of that. Number eight, maximize your time, quality time. DVDs in the car, forget that. Begin to talk to your kids. As you, remember what we said, talking about spiritual things as you go along the way. Man, Ethan and I carried him to the movies the other day. We were in, the, we were in, the, we were in my truck. We were driving along, and we got to talking about uh, uh, Transformers. And uh, he said, Papa, he said, I think I just saw Megatron. I said, no. <laughs> before long, before long, I was in my truck. And we were weaving in and out of in and out of these characters, and we were we were fighting, carrying on. I know people thought I was crazy, but I can tell you one thing: he wasn't watching TV. He might have been getting a little bit of Transformers, but we were also plugging Jesus into every part of it. In fact, I'd tell him sometimes we don't have to worry about Megatron. Jesus can handle Megatron. Number nine: make sure you're working to help with the basics and not for stuff. Mom. Old car, older home may keep you where you can stay at home. Ladies, figure up the second car, the insurance, the gas, the clothes, the meals, the child care, and you may find that $123 a week is not worth giving your children over to somebody else to raise. But mom, if you stay home, don't sit and watch soap operas and eat chocolates. Number 10, share the discipline. Never let kids divide and conquer because that's what they'll do. You won't, this is what a parent ought to say, you won't get my support if you're disrespecting your dad or mom. Be a united front. Number 11, toughen up. When needed, hold the line. Let me tell you something, parents. You've got to hold the line in this day. Let me give you something real quick, and I know we need to close. But listen to what I'm telling you. A lot of times parents say, I can't get my kids to obey me. This is what you do. And I'm going to tell you, it works. Kevin Lehman, um, Kevin Lehman's a great guy in parenting. When you, when you tell your children to do something, for example, you tell them, now, go clean up your room. You, you say that, and then you leave real quickly. And you may get you some earmuffs. Wear earmuffs. That'll help, so you can't hear anything. But tell them to clean their room up and then leave real quickly. It's not negotiating and trying to convince them or arguing with them. You tell them, clean the room up, or this is the outcome. You don't go with your friends. 
or you don't do this. Now, what's going to happen? Their friends are going to pull up, and they're going to be ready to go, and you're going to walk in, their room's not good. You're going to look at them. They're going to come in getting ready to go, because that's the way kids are. I'm leaving now. Bye. Did you clean your room up? I get it when I get back. No. You'll get it right now. Well, my friends are waiting. <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh, I, let me wipe a tear away from my eyes. Now, what I'm saying is, is you give the directive, you give the outcome, and then you don't negotiate. Why? Because you're teaching a spiritual principle here. Let me tell you what God says. God says, I make no exceptions. Whatever you sow, that's what you reap. Even as a Christian. The only difference is, once you and I repent and say, God, I messed up, what God does is he rolls up, Jesus rolls up his sleeves through the power of his Holy Spirit, then all things work together for good to them that love the Lord. Now, last one, then we close. Check for leaks. Number 12, check for leaks. If you see the world coming into your child through attitudes, rebellion, viewpoints, opinions, check what they're watching, check what they're listening to, check their peers, check their relatives, watch out for grandparents because we're the worst. And check you. Check social media, Facebook, Instagram, do whatever you have to do. Toughen up here. Don't be the Kool-Aid house where everybody's just a big hangout. When I was a boy, I had a kid in the second grade nearly drowned me. His name was Tommy. He was the one that literally taught me that four-letter word. And on top of that, not only taught me that four-letter word, he taught me a lot of other stuff too. And he nearly got me drowned outside of divine intervention by a Seminole Indian who plucked me out of a water I would have died. My dad, when my dad said, where did you hear that word? Wore my butt out the second time. He said, now I'm going to ask you again, where did you hear that word? I said, Tommy uses it all the time. He said, you don't play with Tommy no more. You see, sometimes what you have to do, what my dad was saying, Tommy has to go. But poor old Tommy needed Jesus. Yes, but dad couldn't forfeit me to gain Tommy. Many a minister makes the mistake of sacrificing their children for the sake of ministering to others and forgetting them, their own family. Let's stand. D.L. Moody said this of Moses. He said, Moses spent his first 40 years thinking he was somebody. He spent his second 40 years learning he was nobody. He spent his third 40 years discovering what God can do with a nobody. I wrote these down, commit to be a godly wife and mother. If you're married, commit to be a godly wife, be a godly mom. Recommit if you need to, get saved if you need to, and then raise your kids, as the Bible says, Proverbs says, raise them in the admonition of the Lord. Train them up in the way they should go, and when they're old, they'll not depart from it. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we just come to you, and Lord, we love you and praise you. And Lord, this, is, this has been a very practical sermon, dear Lord, just, just speaking honestly from my heart. And dear Lord, I pray from your heart to moms in this room. Lord, I pray that it's encouraged them. I, I pray that it's not only encouraged them, but it's put courage in them to stand strong. They're, they're in a battle today. 
Spiritual war is raging like it's never raged. I'm 58 years old, nearly 60. And I have never seen this nation more depraved, more immoral, more ungodly than it is right now. Moms, are, moms, got, a, moms got great battles ahead of them. If they've got young children, they've got difficult battles ahead. But just like Amram and Jochebed, they too had a tough time to raise, raise their children. But God, I thank you that they did. I pray, dear Lord, that you would encourage every parent in this room. I pray, dear Lord, that you would encourage parents that may be listening on the website, that, Father, you would speak to their hearts and may they just feel encouraged. I pray, dear Lord, that you would give them strength. I know a lot of times moms are tired. I know a lot of times moms go to bed at night and their hearts are breaking. I know there are times in the life of moms when they just want to give up. They're tired. They just want to run away. Probably dads too. But Lord, may they understand that the only thing that they'll ever leave of value, the only thing that they'll ever take to heaven with them is those lives that have been put into their care. I pray, dear Lord, for every parent that they would be mindful of any leak that may be coming into their home. I pray, dear Lord, they'd be bold and confront it when they need to. And I pray, dear Lord, for those that may have lost a child, that you would comfort them. Remind them, dear Lord, that child is in the arms of Jesus. And dear Lord, that's a truth that they can believe, and it's made heaven sweeter. One day when they walk through the gates of heaven and they see their child, son or daughter, they'll just smile. It'll be such a reunion. So I pray that you'll encourage them right now. I pray, dear Lord, for moms that, and even dads that have a prodigal. Lord, I don't think nobody can ever understand until they've gone through that. They could never understand the anguish. As I heard Jim Cimbala say, the great pastor of Brooklyn Tabernacle who had a prodigal, he said it was as if somebody was just ripping his heart out. He was so broken. But I remember too when his heart was broken and he was shaving one day, getting ready. His wife came in and said, someone's here and she was crying. He walked into that kitchen and his daughter was laying there on her knees, collapsed in the kitchen floor, broken from drugs, broken from a prodigal's lifestyle. And in that moment, she was reclaimed. And if I know today she's a great leader, I believe she's married to a preacher, has three children, and has gone on with her life. Father, I pray for those that parent prodigals, whether they're here, whether they're listening by way of our website. I pray, dear Lord, that you would encourage them to place that prodigal in the hands of Jesus and to trust you. And God, we love you. Speak to the hearts. If there's a salvation, if there's someone that needs to be saved, if there's somebody that needs to receive you today as their Lord and Savior, I pray today that they would come. If there's someone that needs to recommit and rededicate that life, Father, encourage them to do it today. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.